thank you uh, very much, Deb, for leading us in prayer and reading. I've, I've got to say, if I was listening correctly, I think I was mentioned positively in the same breath as with Tim Keller. <laughs> so my life is complete. I'm ready to go home. No, thank you for that. The other thing is, is you know, she mentioned uh, the, the kids thing that we did at... Uh, did at the scarring is uh, earlier, which was really really great. One of the things that was really great about it is that there's a num- there were a number of uh, young teenage like not young teenagers but teenage young guys there, maybe girls as well. Um, we don't have a, like we don't have a lot of like teen youth in our church, so we don't really have much of a youth group going or anything like that. One of the things though that we're hoping to see develop though, is that our teens become involved in serving ministries. So with this Boys and Girls Club that's starting up, what we'd love to see is the involvement of our young adults and teenagers in that ministry as leader participants in some fashion. And so uh, when you hear about these kinds of events happening, we're going to have more of them, and Lord willing, we'll become more organized as we get out of COVID and all that stuff. Uh, If you are High school teenager, you know, you're 16, got a lot of wisdom under your belt to share by that point, obviously, um, with the 10-year-olds of our, of our, of our uh, church. Consider participating in that ministry. Anyway, just throwing that out, out there for you to think about. We have been looking over the last little while at the subject of wisdom and how to make wise decisions. And I have been telling you week by week, don't worry, eventually we're going to talk really, really practically about the process of making wise decisions. And we have finally arrived at that Sunday. Today is the day that we're going to look at this process of making decisions. Last week, you'll remember that well, we sort of began the, the process last week when we said that the very first thing we ought to do when we have decisions to make is we ought to consult God's word for any direct or even indirect law that we ought to follow. And I know that sometimes that's really, really easy to do because, you know, if you're asking yourself, uh, you know, should I cheat on my taxes is pretty soon you're going to do your tax returns and you, and you may wonder to yourself should I cheat on my tax return obviously you shouldn't cheat on your tax return because that would be lying but what if you said should I fudge the numbers a little bit on my tax return so that I can give more to missions the answer is still no the ends never justifies the means in Scripture. We're never supposed to use nefarious, sinful ends to accomplish even things that we believe are right. So that one's pretty easy. But here's a, here's a harder one. Should I buy a house or not? Probably a number of young adults in our uh, congregation here this morning or in the overflow or online who are, who are probably thinking about maybe your first house and you're thinking, is it time for me to consider buying my first house? I'd like to have my own place. Is now the time? Well, one principle that scripture teaches is that we ought to give our first fruits of our wealth to the kingdom of God. And so maybe if you were to actually follow that law, 
of God that you would find it difficult for you to be able to have money left over to pay the mortgage and the utilities and all that kind of stuff on, on a house, particularly with prices, housing prices the way they are right now. You see, you're not, you don't want to be house poor. You don't, want to, you don't want to find yourself strapped financially to fulfill your uh, obligations to your home and then you can't fulfill your obligations to your Lord. So that becomes a more difficult decision. And yet, there's still a moral component to it because tithing or giving, excuse me, whichever uh, term you want to use, is something that Christians are supposed to participate in. That is a biblical command. And it affects decisions we make about how we use our money, etc. So those are some pretty big examples. But let me give you a smaller example that actually can have an awful lot of big consequences to it. And I, and I bring this up because of the cultural climate that we find ourselves in right now. I, for myself, I can't remember a time in, in Canadian history where there seemed to be so much division between Canadians about the right way to deal with a national problem. And I'm speaking about the pandemic, and I'm speaking about government decisions, I'm speaking about blockades and, uh, and protests and things like that. Now, maybe there have been times where in the past uh, it, there was great division uh, in, among Canadians about how to deal with those kinds of things. But in times past, we didn't have the easy access to share our positions on things so broadly. I'm referring to, of course, social media. Should I post something on social media or should I not post something on social media? Now, there are some biblical principles that we ought to consider when we're looking at whether to post or to share or to like or to forward or whatever it is that people do on social media to get an opinion or a position sort of out there. There's Romans chapter 12 that says all of us, as far as it depends on, as, as part, each of you, as far as it depends on you, ought to live at peace with one another. So that's a biblical principle that you ought to be thinking about when you're considering whether to post something. Or perhaps Titus chapter 3, where it says, Be ready to do whatever is good, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. On social media, let's face it, Christians have been, recently anyway, have been uh, slandering other Christians. They have been inconsiderate of one another. They have been harsh towards one another. They have been divisive towards one another. Now, those, that's obviously wrong. People are not being careful about some of the things they're liking or disliking. But other times, it's not necessarily wrong to post something on their social media uh, page, but it's, it's just not wise. So, for example, when, when, not for example, remember when we looked at this issue of what, what is wisdom, we use this definition from J.I. Packer. And he says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest way of attaining that goal. 
In other words, it's knowing what's the best thing to do in a situation and what's the best way to achieve what you're trying to do in that situation. And sometimes, at least as an observer who's not really much of a participant in this world, but uh, observes it, I, I jump in and out and kind of try to see what's going on in this world once in a while. It seems that there are people with, with oftentimes very good intentions with their social media usage, but frankly, really bad methods. Trying to accomplish maybe a good goal, but going about it not necessarily in a very, very, not necessarily in in a helpful way. And so all I am doing is I am pleading with you. Listen, I, I I have spent the whole week wrestling with this question and thinking about this question because I know that there are very strong opinions in the Christian community broadly and probably within our Christian community here at Grace Valley as well. Differences of opinion. By God's grace, we have weathered those differences over the last two years very well, in my opinion. Entirely by God's grace. He has worked in us to really love one another, to be careful, to uh, give one another the doubt, to remember what Peter says, that love covers a multitude of sins when we perhaps are in disagreement with one another. And that is absolutely something to be so thankful for. But you know... Tensions are rising. And my fear is that, that all this progress that has been made, even in our sanctification, because, you know, to hold back and to defer to your brother and sisters in the church and to, to, to choose to put your own personal desires and needs behind the needs of the, the collective and the group. These are all part of these decisions. When we do these things, these are all parts of us being sanctified, being made more and more in the image of our Savior Jesus. My fear is, and, and nobody here has given me this, this, this inclination, so don't think I'm speaking to anybody individually. I'm just trying to be preemptive. My fear is, is that we're in, the, we're in the home stretch and the devil is going to, he's, he's trying to drive wedges. And the places where he hasn't succeeded, he is going to push that much harder the closer we get to daylight on the other side of this tunnel. And so I am pleading with you, my brothers and sisters, all across the world, on YouTube land, and those of us in this place, I am pleading with us, just be careful. Be wise with your social media usage and your posting and your forwarding and your liking and your thumbs-upping or downing or emojiing. Because emotional doing of all those things, doing that all emotionally can be dangerous and can be damaging. So that's my plea. You know, how do you help people out of poverty? That's a good goal. That is a high goal. That is a biblical goal. That we should seek to help people rise out of poverty. But how do you do it? There's all kinds of ways to do it. And studies have shown that some of the ways that we thought were really, really good have actually been really, really bad for helping people out of poverty. And so wisdom, again, is not just knowing the best thing to do. It's figuring out the best way to do it. All right. 
What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about that process for a couple of minutes. The process of applying wisdom. Remember, what is with the application of wisdom is, uh, is, is or decision making is using our freedom and responsibility through the application of wisdom. That's what God wants from us when we are making decisions about life. What's the process? You, you heard Deb read all kinds of passages. Hopefully, Vanessa will be able to keep up with me and pop them up when I, when I uh, get to them. But we're going to look at a whole bunch of different passages together. And I have seven things to say. So settle in. Here we go. Number one. If you want wisdom, the Bible says, ask for it. Ask for it. Proverbs 8 verse 19 says, I love those who love me. This is wisdom speaking. And those who diligently seek me will find me. Hopefully, Vanessa, all you'll have to do is go through them in order as they were read. Is it up there? Okay. Um, there it is. Yeah. I love those who love me. Okay. And those who diligently seek me will find me. We don't naturally produce wisdom ourselves. Wisdom is not something that you can conjure up within yourself. It is something that is provided to us. James 1, verses 2 to 8 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given you. We'll stop right there. The reason I'm putting James up there with the Proverbs passage is because you have to seek it diligently, Proverbs says. And, and James is actually describing a situation. He's saying, look, you are going to face trials, you're going to face suffering, you're going to face hardship, but you should face it joyfully. And you wonder to yourself, well, how in the world do I face trouble and hardship and, and, and sorrows and these kinds of things in my life? How do I face those things joyfully? James says you need wisdom, so ask for it. And when he's saying ask for wisdom, he's not saying that if you ask for wisdom on how to deal with suffering and hardship joyfully, God will just download it into your brain like, you know, a PDF document or something like that. No, that's not how it works in the Bible. In the Bible, you've you, you got to remember that wisdom is a path that you follow. You follow the way of wisdom. And so when God grants you wisdom, what he does is, is he teaches you how to be a kind of person who is wise. That's what it means to diligently seek him. It will take effort. The Bible says... If you ask for wisdom, God will give you opportunity to learn wisdom and become wise. That's the first thing, number one. Number two, consider your desires. Now, you might think, based upon what I said the last week or two, wait a minute, are you talking out of two sides of your mouth here? Because I thought you said that, that our desires, we should be careful not to, to listen to our desires, but, but, and we shouldn't trust our heart. But remember, we shouldn't overcorrect our theology, right? Last week, we determined that, that, as Augustine says, if you love God, if you truly love God and you have your desires proper, properly ordered, you can do what you want because you have habitual, habitual, habitually 
learned to love the things that God loves. And I think, you know, that this is actually what people mean sometimes when they say things like, God told me to do X, or the Holy Spirit led me to do Y. I think this might actually be what they're, what they're talking about. Let me give you an illustration of this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Thessalonica, okay? And he really ticks off the people there. They're mad at him. So they run him out of town. And he has to escape because they want to stone him and kill him. So he runs out of town with his friends. He goes to Berea. He's there for a little while. And then the Thessalonians are chasing them to Berea. So his friends say, we got to get you out of here. And they bring him to Athens and they leave him there. And then uh, they tell him, you know, your friends are going to follow. So there he is in Athens kind of by himself hanging out. And he's walking around the city. And he sees all these idols around. And the Bible says, Acts 17 says that he was very distressed. He was moved by the idolatry that he saw. So moved that he had to go up to the Areopagus Mars Hill, you know, and he had to preach. He had to proclaim this God to them because these people were lost and he was distressed and he felt moved. He felt the need to share Jesus with them. Now, in that situation, his own emotional desire and the Holy Spirit's calling were working together in tandem. Was the Holy Spirit calling him to go to Mars Hill and preach the gospel? Sure. But it was also his desire because he loved God more than anything else. Because he longed to see the people of the world know Jesus as their Savior that he felt moved to go to Mars Hill. It's one and the same thing. He preached. Now you always have to test. How do you know if my feelings are, po- are positive, if, if, if they're the things I should be doing? Remember, test them against the scriptures. Where there is a command to obey, obey. Where there isn't a a command, exercise your responsibility and your freedom by applying wisdom. So consider your desires. What do you want to do? It's not always wrong to ask yourself, what do you want to do? Sometimes it's really, really good. All right, third. Consult counselors. Consult counselors. Individual desire is not absolute, okay, or infallible. I know you know this. The fool is the person who says, I got this figured out. I know what to do. A a wise person is a person who says, I know I don't have this figured out. I don't know what to do. So we read three Proverbs about this. In, In Proverbs 11, verse 14, it says... For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, <coughs> excuse me, they succeed. Proverbs 24, verse 6. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Seeking advice is a sign of wisdom itself. You are a wise person when you go up to someone and say, I don't know what to do. Can you please give me some advice? Because the first step in wisdom, as we've said, is to admit you don't have wisdom. The fool is the one who says, I've got it figured out. It's an act of radical self-awareness to seek counsel and seek advice. But here's the thing. 
you have to act on that counsel and advice. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Sometimes there are people who do a lot of advice seeking and very little advice following. There are people who are going around saying, you know, I really like your thoughts on this. What do you think of this? What do you, etc. But in the end, they don't actually act on the advice. Maybe they've heard from several different places a common theme, but they keep going back to, mm, but I think I know, mm, but I think I got it, I think I got this figured out. I'm going to do it. Or they don't act at all. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going to your personal trainer and getting your, your whole printout of how you're supposed to do it. And then you bring it home and you just kind of maybe stick it well, no, you wouldn't tape it to the fridge because then you have to see it every time you go to the fridge, grab something to eat. So you, you put it on your, I don't know, your, your office desk or something and you don't consult it again. Seeking advice is a wise first step, but you got to act on it. You got to be wise by following the advice. And kids, I'm, young people, I want to talk to young people about this for a minute, okay? Listen, when I was young, um, when, I, when I was young and my parents would give me counsel and advice I, I almost habitually almost instinctually thought to myself ah, you're kind of out of touch though like you're old uh, you know you're old it's so funny when you get older you start really realizing like what old actually is so like your parents are 40 you're 15 let's say and your parents are 40 and you think like they're so old. And meanwhile, I'm now 47 and I'm looking at 40-year-olds like, oh, look at that youngster over there. <laughs> still, still doesn't know anything. So you think that they're out of touch. You think that they don't know what's going on. They, you think that they don't understand because you live in a different time, in a different era. And, and, and so you don't want to listen. You want to fight. And I asked her if I could do this. So I, I'm going to use an illustration, a very personal illustration with my daughter. So in our house, all our kids... Growing up, they get phones eventually. But the rule was that at least for grade 9, 10, and 11, they had to put their phone on the counter in our kitchen by 10 o'clock. And they were not allowed to get their phone again until they got up the next morning. Now, every single one of my kids has said, that's garbage. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. All my friends, all of them, to a man, apparently. Every single friend they know is not required to do something like that at all. They're the only kids on earth required to do something like that. And we had some arguments about it. And eventually, we had some downright like fights about it. And finally, I had to say, I don't care what you think. Your opinion is meaningless to me. This is my house. And this matters to me, and so you're going to do it. And frankly, I want you to shut up about it now. And I love my kids, and my kids get to argue with me, and oftentimes they're right and change my opinion on stuff. So let's not just turn me into a big ogre. But in this moment, I was very upset. Three years later, my daughter, I, we talked about this, three years later, she comes to me and she's like, I'm really glad you guys did that. Like, really glad, actually, because... I slept half decent and I had lots of friends because there were some friends who didn't have this rule who were getting tinged and binged and winged 
throughout the night and didn't get a half decent sleep. And we were always like, if you can get a good sleep, if you can get a solid eight hours, you can handle anything. <laughs> and it forced them to have that and do that. And she's very thankful now looking back. And she kind of has this similar sort of habit on her own that she's an adult. Now, I'm just using that as an illustration of, listen, I didn't grow up with a cell phone. But that doesn't mean that I'm so out of touch that I don't know what good cell phone practice is. And young people, when your parents say something that's really worthwhile and useful, and they're adamant about it, you better think really, really hard about whether or not you ought to disagree and ought to fight them on this. Because they love you and they care for you. And you've also, when you seek wisdom, you've got to ask the right people. Okay, I still remember when I first became a teacher, I was walking down the hallway and there was a poor girl in grade 10 whose boyfriend broke up with her and she was crying in front of her locker, just so sad. And she was surrounded by her friends, four or five other grade 10 girls, and they all had advice on how she should handle this, every one of them. And I walked by and then I kind of stopped around the corner because I was intrigued by what they were talking about. I was like, this is terrible advice. This is horrible advice. Like, don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't say to him, well, I never loved you anyway. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just cr like crazy, crazy ideas. There's a place in 1 Kings 12 where Rehoboam, he's the son of Solomon, and he becomes king of Israel. And the people had been rebelling. And he needed to know how to govern his people. And so he goes to his King Solomon, his father's advisors. He says, what should I do? These old gray hairs. And they all say, you know what? You, you tell them that you're going to be kind to them. You're going to be kinder even than their father was. You're going to lift some of the uh, restrictions on their lives. And uh, you're going to, to, to treat them with respect, etc. And then you will win them over and you'll be able to govern. He goes, okay. Then he goes to his buddies. Never been in leadership. Never been... Uh, you know, uh, leading any kind of organization or anything. What should I do? And they all say, you know, you got to double down and be super tough. And you got to say to your to them, you know, my dad was tough, but 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 my my little finger is tougher than his waist. And he listens to his brothers, his his buddies, and the country rebels and it gets torn in two. And now you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and he becomes king only of Judah. And uh, Jeroboam becomes king of Israel because he didn't listen to the right counselors. When you look for people, younger people, and I'm, I'm young, okay, so I'm talking to me, my folks as well. Look for people whose godliness you admire. Sometimes, in all honesty, it will look like nerdiness. Don't mistake godliness for nerdiness. Look for people who are godly and seek them out and ask them for their opinions. You know, one of the reasons we have intergenerational life groups at Grace Valley is because we believe in the wisdom of those who have years of experience to share with those who don't have it. And so when you're in your 20s and you're hanging out with someone in their 60s, don't think to yourself, this is lame. I wish I was in a life group with people my own age and my own life stage and experience. Of course, you want a little bit of that. So we try to put one or two with you that are about the same age. But we really want you to be around people who are smarter or not smarter, wiser than you. Wiser than you. And the older people, we need to be around uh, sometimes people who are younger because the youth not only have wisdom to share at times, but they certainly have a pulse on where the culture is at. 
you can start to become a little bit out of touch the older you get, and younger people sort of know what's going on in the culture and what the issues are that matter to people in the culture, etc. Consult counselors. Okay, those three were the longest. The rest are going to go much more quickly, I promise. Number four, take your time to make your decision. 21 verse 5, this is Proverbs 21 verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now some of you might say, oh, but I read Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And in that book, he actually says that your hunch, going with your gut, is oftentimes the best decision to make. And, and if you think about overthink something too much, you might make a worse decision or it, you'll just come back around to that that gut decision or that hunch decision. I would say, no, what, what Gladwell is actually doing in the book Blink, and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you'll Google it after church, I know it. What he's doing is, is he's affirming the biblical principle that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will grant you the desires of your heart, that as you shape your desires along the desires of God, you will become a person who instinctually and habitually seeks to do the things that are pleasing to him. But in the main, what you ought to do is you ought to take your time, especially with major decisions. And the reason you ought to do that is because of the fifth principle. You need to get the right information. What does it say in Proverbs 18, verse 13? To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Sometimes it takes time to gather the right information. And to sift through the varying opinions in order to find what is the best information and the most truthful information. As, as Proverbs 18 verse 17 says, uh, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines him. Haven't you ever had that? Someone gives you an argument, you go, oh, yeah, that makes good sense to me. And then someone gives you the opposite, and you're like, oh, that makes sense to me too. And now you're standing here going, I don't know, which, what am I supposed to do? Take your time, continue to wrestle with the questions and sift through the arguments. And of course, numbers, that, you know, that's what we did with the SEAL team. When we, when we had to make a decision whether to purchase this property, we put together a team. They called themselves the SEAL team. That was the name they gave themselves because they really wanted to only do this for a while. And SEAL teams, like, they go in, they do their thing, and then they get out. So these guys, you know, they just wanted to help out for a while. Like, I'm not saying they're lazy. Don't misunderstand. But they're like, we'll go hard and do this thing and then it'll be over. But what they did was they gathered information and then they put together three different scenarios for the leadership to work our way through. It was a very deliberative process based upon wisdom. And then sixth, consider your history. Please consider your history. You know, George Santayana, he was a, a, a philosopher. He said, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. This is Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. What a vivid picture. Einstein said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. Look over your life and the decisions that you've made and learn from them, please. And say, well, that didn't work out so well. I better not do that again. That was foolishness. That was folly. Don't be a dog. Now, the reason we have to point this out to our generation is, is because most of us, we, we are not particularly reflective people. We bounce around. Our attention goes from one thing to another thing to another thing so quickly that, that we don't take the time to, to habituate 
the education that we're being given, which means to reflect, to digest, and to make a part of us the things that we've been taught by God. And it, it takes a long time to learn. Anybody who's over 40 will tell you, wow, it takes so long to learn so many lessons. So you young people, you want to start now. Last thing, we'll close with that. Finally, decide and commit to the sovereignty of God. As Nike would say, just do it. You've gone through the process. You've done the best you can with the information you've been given. You've tested your heart. You've asked counselors. You've taken the time. Now make a decision and trust in the sovereignty of God that that he will bless your decision one way or another. If it was a good decision, he will bless it by making that very clear to you. And if it was a bad decision, he will bless you through it by accomplishing his desire for you in your failure as well. In that sense, you cannot lose. Because your God, who loves you and delights in you and cherishes you, has promised that he works out all things according to his purposes. Even the wicked for a day of disaster. Proverbs 16. Or as Romans 8 says, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you hear that? It's for your good. The ultimate good. What's the ultimate good? That you would be saved from your sin and conformed to the image of Jesus so that when people see you, they see a picture of their creator and their redeemer. Even if it's a faint one and even if it's not a great one. But the reason this is so important is because as I said about my kids, you know, if you can get a solid eight hours sleep, you can handle anything. So many of us are going to bed anxious about our decisions. Oh, was that the right thing? Or what should I do? And your mind goes... And it starts to sound like a 1500cc Kawasaki going down the highway. And it's screaming at you and you're losing sleep and you're losing hair. (laughs) And I'm calling you to sleep like a Calvinist. And believe the gospel that you hear week after week after week that Jesus Christ promised. In John chapter 10, he said, I know my sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep and no one can snatch them out of my hand. You are secure. You know, in Luke chapter two weeks from now, we start Lent. Lent is the time when we consider Jesus going to the cross for our sin. And we consider that week after week, but we focus on that. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says that Jesus resolutely, or he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus made the decision, I'm going to the cross. And we know that there were times where he wondered and he questioned because in that garden, he even cried out to God, if there's any other way, let's do it. But he didn't waver. Why? Not my will be done, but yours. He entrusted himself to his father, who he knew, who he knew, loved him and delighted in him and would work all things according to his good purposes for him. Let's pray. Father, 
teach us to be wise. Help us to be wise, not for our glory, but for yours. And when we are wise, Father, um, may your goodness shine through to, through us to the world so that the world may know that you are there, that you hold out your Son as a, a picture of your love for us, and that you will turn away no one who comes to you in faith and repentance. Father, we do ask for wisdom in the many decisions we have to make in life, and we trust, we trust that you will grant it to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have time for a couple of questions. I again forgot to mention <laughs> that we do that after the service when, whenever we have a chance. Um, but some of you remembered, and so you, you, I'm getting some questions here. Let me start uh, with my first question here. How do we approach living in community with people whose end results to wise decision-making is so different from ours? And their choices and opinions appear to be fueled by anger or are very divisive. Okay, so, first of all, be very, very careful to attribute motives to other people. When I, like, I have been taught a lot about life by two people in my life. Well, five people in my life. One is my wife, and the other group is my kids. And both sets of people have taught me that I need to be very careful about attributing motives to others. So when my kids would do something wrong, I'd be like, oh, they just think, rah, 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 rah. and Jessica would be like, Paul, you don't know that. Your job is not to put motives into other people. Your job is to draw them out and find out what they are. So the first thing is, be careful about attributing motives of others. Because... Um, you might think that it's fueled by anger and, and, and is divisive, but they, they, that might not be their intention at all. The second thing, now we're getting, I know what we're probably talking about here. We're, pro we're probably talking about like mask mandates and passports and blockades and all that kind of stuff. Here's what I'm going to say on that issue. All right. And I'm, I'm kind of glad for this question because it gives me a platform to do this in a way that's legit rather than me trying to find a way to say my opinion about something in the middle of a sermon or whatever. Um, friends, Christians, please listen to me. First of all, love covers over a multitude of sins. Would you please be gentle and loving towards your Christian counterparts who think differently than you? And remember that your position on masking or vaccines or whatever is not an indication of your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm fully vaccinated, but there are those who are vaccine hesitant or oppose vaccine. And I may think that being vaccine hesitant isn't... Uh, or being vaccine, uh, refusing a vaccine isn't the best way to go. But I would never, uh, I would never say that a person's refusal to, to get a vaccine is evidence of a lack of faith in Jesus Christ. 
So the things that bind us as followers of Jesus are far more important than the things that separate us. Second of all, the things that are separating us are political. They are not religious, and we need to stop talking about them being religious. We need to stop saying that if you wanted to go to a blockade and there was some white supremacists there, the fact that you're there makes you a white supremacist too. We need to stop attributing motives. We need to stop saying that it's evidence of, of a weak faith or a strong faith. We've got to remember that these are political differences. And when I read the New Testament, Jesus Christ never allowed himself to be brought into a political debate. He said, I am here for the kingdom of God, which is not of this world. It is a spiritual kingdom. And my focus is on calling people to faith. So go ahead and have your political differences, but do not make them religious differences. That's the, how many things have I said? Three? My three things that I would say on that? And then the last thing I would say is, we have to learn to find a way And I thought this was something that was natural to Christians, uh, but I'm discovering that it's not. We have to learn to find a way to, to talk about our differences civilly. And when we can't, I start to wonder whether we're making idols out of those positions, right? So if you are a strong masking, strong vaccine proponent, and it just makes you so mad, that those people won't get vaccinated. Those people won't, uh, you know, keep their mask on when they're, when, when they're walking into a store or something. It just makes you so mad that they don't like it. You've got to ask yourself, why are you so angry about it? I get that you don't like the difference. I get that you would like to have them on your side. I get that you would like them to, to have the same opinion as you. But, but to be so angry as though that this is a first-order issue, you've got to ask yourself... You've got to look into your own heart to, to figure out why, why is that so important? Of all the things that should matter to me, why is that so important to me? Now, I think that when you're on, when you're going to protest, I think that you have to do it within the law. I think that as a Christian, you are bound to serve the law until the law uh, forces you to disobey God. And I don't believe that our government has done that. And this is me talking. This is, this is I, Paul, not the Apostle Paul, not Jesus. This is me giving my opinion as the pastor of Grace Valley Church, but not as I am not going to argue that this is uh, what the Bible says because I don't want to turn, uh, I don't want to turn this into a, a church where you're only welcome if you hold my opinion. I'm just saying... I think that as Christians, we need to be very, very careful to dis- when we disobey the government, we better be able to show clearly how the government is, uh, is not just limiting my rights to movement, not just limiting my ability to love my neighbor the way I want to, because I've heard these kinds of arguments, but is actually uh, forcing me to not worship God. Because there's Daniel. He's working for King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Who, regardless of what you think of the federal government right now, you cannot say that they're as bad as the emperor of ancient Babylon. 
who had a history of terrible oppression, okay? And there's Daniel, and he's an advisor to him, and he's working in the government. And he's saying, yeah, I'll do this, and I'll do that. And Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego are, are administrators high up in this government. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, you know, we should have, a, we should have a, an image up of me, and, and, and we should worship me, just for a little while. And that's where they say, uh-uh, I can't do it. So I think we need to be careful about that. But, at the same time, those of you who don't want to go to a blockade and don't want to go to a protest and don't want to participate in that, you need to respect the rights of those and the desires of those who feel like they have been, and they have been, by the, by the, by the majority of the, of the, the media and the... Um, and the, uh, the population, they have kind of been vilified. They have kind of been made fun of as being, you know, backwards and anti-science. And, you know, they're just difficult people. And why can't they all just get in line? And some of them are people who lost their livelihood in a matter of weeks or months. And it's not come back. And they are feeling hurt and unheard. And if we would just, on all sides dial down the rhetoric and dial up the desire to listen to people express their pain and suffering and hurt and show empathy, even if you don't change necessarily the legislation for the time being, I think we would make it a, a lot further as a country. But now I'm starting to talk politics, so i got to stop. Hold on, uh, sister. Okay, I think I tried answering this one. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, I think I've answered that one. Uh, millions of people. <laughs> That's a really funny joke that I'm not going to share, but I like a lot. All right, Donna. I'm just going to stand up for this. I want to thank Pastor Paul for being a great person and helping us out, giving us wisdom. I also want to thank all the church here, all my friends, I'm going to miss you so very much. And listen to Pastor Paul. He has listened. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. Listen, friends, I, I want to stop where we started, uh, which is, I think there's light at the end of this tunnel. And I think... If we will, if we could, if we just keep focusing on the gospel, like Jesus, look, you, every one of you sitting here and in the overflow and watching online, some of you I may have pissed off with what I said, or ticked off, sorry, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, because you think that I'm like picking a side. What I want to remind all of us of is this. You are all more wicked than you ever dared imagine. And everybody goes like, well, you reformed people. You always like to hammer on sin. Well, here's why, okay? Listen. No matter what another person has done to you on social media or in person, face-to-face, in one of your arguments or whatever, no matter what anybody has done to you, it is nothing compared to what you have done to Jesus. Don't forget that. What I have done to others, 
maybe even the last 10 minutes that I've been talking, is nothing compared to what I have done to Jesus in my rebellion against him. And he, nevertheless, loves me more than I ever dared hope. And hung on that cross and died for me, refusing to fight fire with fire, refusing to hit back. And if we would focus on that, friends, if we would focus on that, all of us on all sides, we could love one another through this. We can. We can. And the world would see a different way. Everybody's, I know I'm, I'm going on and on, I'm sorry, but everybody's double da- doubling down. Everybody seems to be doubling down. And if we would just say, you know what, I'm a sinner screwed up, but I'm saved by grace. And you're a sinner screwed up, but I love you because you're saved by grace. That is the power, okay? That's the power that can change the world.